Hey friends, welcome back to Metacosmios, a podcast with astrological forecasts for pasts and other cosmic chit-chat. I'm your host, Jay, translator of Planetary Cadence, also known as an astrologer. Thank you so much for being here. Friends, I am so excited to bring you this episode. It's something totally different from what I've been up to since the show shifted to be an astrology podcast. I've got a guest. I mean, I know you already know that from clicking on the episode. It's kind of all there in the title and the description, but I'm still excited and I still want to tell you a little bit about it. So you're about to hear a conversation I had with the amazing Sarah Shaban, aka the Exoteric Oracle. Sarah and I met on Instagram, and I was first introduced to her actually through Elena, who folks might remember from the Tarot Coven cast. But Sarah really caught my eye when she started posting a lot about Palestine and, you know, using your voice, using your platform to speak out on issues. And I've been to a couple of her Instagram lives as of now, and I also went to a free masterclass that she taught, and she just has so much wisdom and insight to share. And I'm just really super grateful that she was able to come and share some of that rich and nourishing wisdom here on the show. The foundation of our conversation here is based around Saturn and Pisces and how we see that transit really connecting to collective struggles, collective oppression, and colonization and decolonization. And so you're going to get a little astrology, a little philosophy, a little history, and so much more. It is kind of like the original tagline for Tarot Coven cast, real people, real talk, real magic. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jasmine. It's such a pleasure to be here. You have no idea. Yeah, I'm so excited that we're finally doing this. It's been a couple of months in the making, I guess. Yeah, we've been talking about it for a while, but it feels right on time, to be honest. Yeah, we're recording this on the day of a new moon, which I'm super pumped about. I think it's good energy. Yeah, the first new moon of the year, too. So it's like... Yeah. Well, so before we dive in to all of today's goodness, I just wanted you to let the listeners know, like, who are you? What do you do? What are you all about? Yeah. So my name is Sarah Chaban. I am a Palestinian American philosopher, mystic, and mentor. I go by Exoteric Oracle on Instagram. And um, that name is very intentional. The word exoteric means the opposite of esoteric, which is kind of hidden knowledge, very exclusive and secretive. And exoteric is knowledge and wisdom that is meant to be easily accessible and easily understood by everyone and anyone. And then, you know, an oracle is someone who has the gift of sight, someone who usually functions in society as a guide or or did before uh, the demonization of uh, witches. But um, so I like to say that as the exoteric oracle, I am a truth seer and truth sayer. Um, my work. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Um, my academic background is in both history and philosophy. I started off as a history major. I began taking philosophy classes um, in an effort to become a better historian because I found a lot of philosophers mentioned in history, but um, I didn't get to actually engage with their work. So I uh, started studying philosophy and fell in love with um, the critical thinking, the Socratic method, all of these different uh, perspectives on consciousness. And so um, I finished my undergrad um, at Mills, where I designed my own degree called History, Philosophy, and Self-Consciousness. And then um, I got my master's at SF State. I still need to write the thesis, but all my classes are done and everything. Um, aside from that, um, my original goal was to become a college uh, history philosophy professor, but after getting the opportunity to teach at my college for a couple semesters, I realized that a lot of the dynamics at, you know, at, at the university were not going to work for me. Um, I didn't like the limitations. Um, on what I could teach, how I could teach it, and so on. So that's when I decided to start my own business, um, where I do incorporate a lot of history and philosophy, but my primary focus in my business is to help um, specifically female and femme entrepreneurs um, heal their unworthiness wound, heal their inner child uh, trauma, deal with their imposter syndrome, which are all products of colonial violence, which we'll get into in a bit. But yeah, I have all types of different mentorship programs from decolonization work to throat chakra activation work to um, specifically business and energetics mentorship. So that's a little bit of my background and what I'm doing now. Amazing. I I heard your story about um, creating your own degree program when I went to your free masterclass just a couple of days ago, which was like incredible. It was so rich. It was so nourishing, honestly. Anybody, if you get a chance to, I mean, work with Sarah, obviously, but if you get a chance to check it out for free, I mean, you have to. Um, but I loved that idea of being able to create your own degree. I had never heard of that before. And I mean, I don't know if that's commonplace, but it feels like you've been rooted in this idea of decolonization, like since the beginning. I mean, to me, that feels like, that feels like an example of it. I don't know if I'm <laughs> off the mark there, but it's cool. No, definitely. Cause my only other options. So I was at a liberal arts private school. So I feel like that's why there was probably a lot more opportunity because we were paying a fucking <laughs> whole lot more. Um, yeah, I was, you know, playing with the idea of just double majoring in history and philosophy, but, um, because of, um, you know, the institutionalization of these disciplines, it would have been a pain in the ass, um, to do that. So I was like, fuck it, I'll just create my own degree and I'll, you know, and I just was able to basically fill in the blanks, like these classes that I've already taken, um, you know, they support this degree in these ways. And so it was a really beautiful, and like you mentioned, it was a really decolonial opportunity to say, this is what I'm interested in learning. This is what I want to be seen as an expert in. Um, and to be able to actually pave the way for that to be, you know, even a degree 
it was a really beautiful experience. I love that. And I'm sure we'll see all of that come to life in this conversation. So this conversation, like, why are we here? I know that I guess it was, yeah, a couple of months ago now, I posted something on Instagram about the Saturn and Pisces transit. And then you had responded and we were just like chatting about, I think it was more of like how this transit was coming to life for you personally, maybe. And then it kind of just like grew from there into this conversation. And you suggested uh, getting together to chat about Saturn and Pisces, but also this like global awakening that we've been seeing. And I think that was really connected to, at least in that moment, like the ongoing occupation and genocide that's happening in Palestine and what we're seeing kind of like on social media, like erupting basically from all these people waking up to shit that's been going on. And when you suggested that, it like got my mind moving so quickly. And it was one of those things where like, once you make a connection, you start to see it in so many places too. Because I started seeing other astrologers talk about Saturn and Pisces in this more meaningful way. And I was like, yeah, there's really something here. So just wanted to put it out there. Certainly, I'm not the only astrologer like having this thought. I think we are coming to this realization. But it's, yeah, I mean... For me, I've started realizing that this transit is really maybe an opportunity to reflect on the ways in which we are kept disconnected from understanding our deep connection with the collective, all these borders and these barriers and the institutions and systems that cause so much suffering and like how that is all connected. And I think, you know, moving beyond just awakening to this, I'm reflecting on this, this Saturn and Pisces transit could really be an invitation to actually make some changes to like actually embody a more decolonized mindset and way of living. And I hope that that's what we're going to maybe start to offer people here today with this episode is like some ideas on how to do that and like feeling a little bit more empowered in that area of life, basically. So yeah, so what I'm going to do up top, basically, is like give kind of a brief overview of what Saturn means, what Pisces means, what the two of them coming together might symbolize, just so that we're kind of like all on the same astrological page, basically. And then I also have some ideas of like how I see this transit really coming to life for us in the present moment. And then I think what'll be you know, the most nourishing and rich part of the episode really is that Sarah has come up with some action steps, some tangible things that we can do to, like I said, actually embody this and like work towards decolonizing our lives, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So first up, let's just chat about Saturn. So Saturn is what's known as a malefic planet. And that means that it is capable of afflicting negative outcomes. What I want to say up front is that like, I don't think Saturn is the bad guy. It's just that it is, it tends to represent the more like difficult and challenging sides to life. So 
it kind of just gets that rap. But like Saturn is about the burdens that we carry, the responsibilities and obligations in our lives, the obstacles that we have to surmount. It is the harsh realities of being alive, you know, like it has a very sobering quality to it. In terms of like astronomical stuff, um, Saturn is the last planet that we can see just with our naked eye. Like we don't need telescopes or technology or anything like that. And so in that way, it kind of represents or not kind of it like it does represent boundaries, limits, restrictions, endings, because it is sort of that like final frontier, basically, like that final thing that we can see. And of course, you know, boundaries and limits can be really frustrating and inhibiting, but they're also what helps us to create structure and stability. They help us to stay in our integrity very often. Now, those structures can also relate to things like government and authority. You know, Saturn is a lot about like rules and it's about order. So I think with Saturn, we can learn about the importance of commitment and reliability, about endurance and perseverance and like kind of the value of all of those things. So that's a little snapshot of Saturn. Then we have Pisces, and Pisces is a water sign, so we're very much in the realm of emotions and creativity, spirituality, intuition, compassion. Pisces is also a mutable sign, and mutable signs are flexible and adaptable. They're very malleable. There's kind of like a longing for variety with mutable signs. So what you get with a mutable water sign is this like very porous and permeable and fluid energy. And there's a very boundless nature for Pisces. And it can be kind of like timeless and formless. Pisces is often compared to the ocean. It's very expansive and limitless in that way, which can be really overwhelming because it kind of lacks limits, right? But I think that also creates conditions for a greater inclusivity. And I also like to think of Pisces as the vastness of our dreams and our dreamscapes, like this kind of untold possibilities of what our subconscious minds can bring to life for us. But dreams can also be used as a means of escape. So just, you know, the the double-sided nature of all of that. There's really no way to quantify when it comes to Pisces energy. It's it's kind of just like one big energy. You know, like you can't count the drops of water in the ocean. There is no linear timeline in our dreams. So really my point here is just that Pisces is very all-encompassing. So then when we combine these energies, we do kind of get this conflict, right? Like we get boundary and boundlessness. We get limited and limitless. So it's kind of this idea of making a compassionate commitment. Compassion mm-hmm. being that Pisces sort of keyword and commitment being very Saturnian or like fortifying forgiveness surrender and sacrifice. Can you tell I like alliteration? (laughs) And there's definitely this idea of like bringing form to flow. But I think maybe more importantly for like our conversation here today is 
this idea of dissolving boundaries and breaking down barriers, which I really think relates to the idea of decolonization, right? And also to throwing away this notion that my struggle is separate from your struggle because, you know, I think it's absolutely true that like you and I, Sarah, we have definitely experienced different struggles. They're definitely not equal, but they are connected, right? Like I'm almost certain that we've both faced challenges where if we trace them back to the root, we would find patriarchy, we would find capitalism, we would find colonialism, you know, we would find all of these root problems at the at the core. And there's something to me about Saturn's transit through Pisces that is helping us to awaken to this understanding of just how interconnected all of these struggles really are. And, you know, it's obviously nothing new to talk about intersectionality. People have known for a long, long time that gender issues are connected to racial issues, are connected to labor issues, are connected to climate issues. And um, that the powers that be have kind of like wanted us to think of them as separate issues, to think of them as things that, well, you know, we can only tackle this one thing, we can only tackle this one thing, and we're kind of against each other in all of these issues. But I actually, I think like, if social media is any indication, if these like massive protests that we've been seeing, these challenges to government that like, I don't think we've really seen in our lifetime, maybe like, I think we've definitely seen uprisings before in history. But on this level, it feels bigger than anything I've really seen before. Maybe that's my own awakening too coming across for sure. I can admit to that. But I think if those things are any indication that people are waking up to see how everything is so interconnected. And something I think that really connects with this Saturn in Pisces is this idea of like, okay, so interesting that like this genocide that's being funded that my government seems to be able to pay for, but yet they can't pay for all these people that are in need to be like housed and fed, but they could pay for these weapons and all this shit. That's curious. That's interesting. And so seeing how it's like playing out in our own backyard too, you know, like what's happening in Palestine is not separate from what's happening. I mean, yes, different, but not separate. Like, especially not when, as you mentioned, right, like every single American taxpayer is literally funding this genocide, whether they're aware or um, consenting to that um, Mm -hmm. is irrelevant, right? So it's like when, Americans are struggling, like you said, with housing, financial insecurity, food insecurity, um, unable to pay for education, right? And as you mentioned, all this separation, it's we've been programmed to point the finger, right? Like, oh, I can't have it because of these people that are also in America. But it's like, no, we need to start, you know, um, looking in a different direction, (laughs) you know, it's not my neighbor over here that, oh, you know, they have generational wealth, so it's their fault, or, oh, it's this person that has more opportunities or more privilege than me, so it's their fault, or the one that America loves to use is like, oh, it's all these immigrants, right, it's their fault, they're coming in and taking the, taking the jobs that um, no Americans want, by the way, but, um, yeah, that would be the case. Yeah, exactly. So it's like this, you know, again, like awakening to the fact that, huh, 
I ha I'm having all these problems and my government is telling me that they can't afford to help me uh, with my problems, but somehow my government can afford to send billions and billions of dollars in weapons, like you say, to murder innocent people. And if you really look at it, right, it doesn't take a lot of research or discernment to see that this is a land grab and this is a resource grab, right? It's being... Um, it's being expressed to us as some kind of holy, uh, you know, birthright religious uh, war. But, um, you know, anybody that knows their American history, anybody that's heard of Manifest Destiny knows that these are just um, ways in which the colonizers have found that they can justify their wars, that they can justify their oppression by saying, oh, look, here in my holy book, it says this. Right. But it's like nowhere in your holy book does it say go ahead and kill tens of thousands of innocent people because you want to build. Um, what is it that they're trying to build over there? Like beachfront housing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like um, so, yeah, that that's one of the ways in which all of our struggles, you know, whether you're American or whether you're Palestinian are connected because pal the Palestinian struggle in the current moment is a struggle of genocide and ethnic cleansing, right? And Americans might want to say, oh, well, that doesn't affect me. But it's like, well, it does, because all of those things that you're upset that your government is not providing for you, the reason that they're not providing those things is because they're sending all of that money that they're getting from your tax, <laughs> from your taxes and your neighbor's taxes and your family's taxes. And they're sending it over there to commit this genocide and ethnic cleansing. So in that sense, there's no way that we can say these struggles are um, separate. Yeah, I mean, they're quite literally connected. And I'll just say, like, it's it's the same for Canadians as well. Like, there's a lot of I people here in Canada. My bad. Oh, no, that's OK. There's a lot of people up here that would like to really separate us from, I don't know, the acts of the United States, I guess. But I mean, we we really are just as bad. We just have a really polite veneer to everything. But I mean, <laughs> You can look it up like our tax. There's a percentage of our tax dollars that are doing the exact same thing. And I mean, come on, we saw the U.N. votes. It took fucking forever for Canada to not just abstain and actually do something. So we are just as bad. OK, guys, <laughs> like we're, we're not absolved of this at all. But I don't think any Western or or I shouldn't even just limit it to Western because I think it's Western and Westernized. Um nations can claim that they are you know not responsible or not involved in some way and that even go you know i'm an arab and i'm even looking at for example countries like saudi arabia who have the means and who have the funds and who have uh the opportunity to stop this that are not doing it because they have been so um, infected with Western ideals, Western capitalist ideologies, and so on, where it's more important to protect the interests of the rich than it is the interests of the people, right? And we see this throughout the world, right? There's millions of people protesting any given day all over the world, yet none of those people, millions of people's governments, whether they're in Europe, whether they're in the Middle East, whether they're here um, in the Americas, um, their governments are still, you know, aside from a couple countries that are maybe, um, you know, boycotting 
um, Israel, like it's still, it's still not enough to enact real tangible change. And I feel like, again, that's another um, kind of unintentional, but serendipitous way in which we're all awakening. Like, wait, what the fuck? How are there millions of us out here boycotting, protesting, posting, and still are, you know, calling our fucking reps all the time and still our reps are over here voting no. I know it is quite baffling, but I think it just shows that, I mean, I, I don't want to say that we don't have power as people. I really think that we do, but I think that like these, these structures and these institutions and these systems are so fucking rooted into the ground at like, we have to dig so deep to unearth these roots and like start chopping away at them. Like there's just, there's a lot of work to be done. And that's the invitation of Saturn and Pisces, right? Because Saturn represents these it's these foundations. And I forget how you said it earlier. You said it in such a um oh, such a beautiful way where you were kind of talking about um almost like the formlessness of Pisces um collaborating with the form of Saturn, right? And so it's giving us this opportunity um to finally you know, address the root causes of these things. Cause like you say, right. Most people, um, are not aware, like you said, my struggle, your struggle, the next person's struggle, even though they're very unique because we've all led very unique lives, our struggles are still rooted in colonialism, in capitalism, in patriarchy, even if it's our personal trauma. So like for me, one of my deepest childhood traumas was, um, the way that my dad treated me. I had a brother and my dad like blatantly favored my brother. And people will say, oh, well, Middle Eastern men, they just, um, they favor their sons, right? It's, and and I think we see this in the West too, right? It's not maybe as blatant, but it's like, you know, all every man is just waiting for that moment that he has a son, right? And it's like not the same when they have um, a daughter and um, that's a product of, patriarchy, right? It's not like men, you know, or just are just nat obviously a man has a natural inclination to raise his son in such a way, but that doesn't negate the fact that he can um, you know, express love for his other children that are not sons, right? But so it's like, yeah, that's a personal trauma of mine, an interpersonal trauma that on the surface seems like it's just between me and my dad, and I thought it was for most of my life, and it wasn't until I started doing this work that I was like, "Huh, my dad was indoctrinated in such a way by his dad who was indoctrinated in such a way that allowed for these beliefs to be developed in my dad, which translated into the behaviors that he exhibited and his attitude towards me. And it's like, once you're finally able to make those connections, then you can see how, okay, my struggle and yours on the surface are completely different. They have nothing to do with each other. But if we just trace them back a couple more steps, it's like, oh, look, the same motherfucking culprit. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's all so, it's all so connected. It's wild. But I mean, and I guess that like strengthens that like central force, but it also, I guess, gives us a point of which to attack, quote unquote. Like, yeah. So, um, okay. So more on Saturn and Pisces. This particular Saturn and Pisces transit 
also has uh, Neptune co-present. So that just like Neptune is also transiting through Pisces at this time. And right now, Saturn and Neptune are kind of at opposite ends of Pisces, but they're going to continue to get, well, Saturn will continue to move closer and closer to Pi- or to Neptune. And I think as that happens, this like collective discontent with the way that things have been, I think that just keeps growing. You know, I think the unveiling of truths continues to happen because Neptune as a planet, it can be very deceiving. It kind of has like rose-colored glasses energy, which is really lovely sometimes, but it does keep us from seeing the full truth of something. And I think as Saturn gets closer, Saturn, this force of like clarity and kind of, like I said, that sobering energy, I think as it gets closer, it starts to bring some reality checks or it continues to bring those reality checks. Like those blurry edges get really sharp, get really clear. And we're not going to be able to look away from facts anymore, you know, from this realization that we have been lied to. We've been deluded for so long. And I think our beliefs are really going to be tested. Now, Something I found out that I that is super interesting to me is that when Neptune was first discovered, it was actually very close to Saturn at the time. So I think new beginnings, new understandings are very possible as these two planets come closer to one another, but they only come through the dissolving of old understandings, right? Because when Neptune was discovered, it was like, well, our whole understanding of the solar system is now having to be reshaped and re-understood, which is great, but we also have to get rid of this idea that, you know, Uranus is the the last planet in the solar system or whatever. So it kind of means confronting a truth. And so again, I think, you know, we have a chance with Saturn and Pisces to really see clearly this interconnected nature. And and when I bring up the interconnected nature, that really is the Pisces of it all, like the the encompassing nature, the encompassing energy. So the interconnectedness of oppression and oppressive systems, that's the Saturnian burden and rigidity and really work towards confronting and dissolving those systems. Um When I talked about Saturn, I mentioned that it is the furthest planet that we can see without uh, any aid to the eye. But Pisces is also the last sign of the Zodiac. So there's really something about this combination that does speak to a finality, a conclusion, an ending. And I think Saturn's walls can be made really pliable by Pisces. We can bend them. We can reshape them. We have this chance to change our structures And maybe we only do that within ourselves, but I think that's how it starts, right? Like that ripples out eventually the more change that we can make within ourselves. How does that not then affect everything that we touch, right? Yeah. One of the things um, that you mentioned about Saturn was that it could be very sobering, right? Mm -hmm. And and that reminds me um, again of the allegory of the cave, which I shared in the masterclass, right? And so um, really interesting that this story is over 3,000 years old, but it still feels so like eerily relevant to what we're experiencing now. Um, and if you don't mind, I would just like to kind of briefly share um, that allegory um, to tie it in. So um, the allegory of the cave was written by Plato. Um, it's allegorical, meaning that it's metaphorical. And he's really 
um, highlighting the corruption in the Athenian government because um, his mentor Socrates um, was executed on the charge of corrupting the youth um, by the government. And so Socrates corrupting the youth, what he was actually doing is he was just kind of walking around almost interviewing experts in their fields, whether that be law or medicine or something like that, and just ask them, well, how do you know things, right? He was really interested in knowledge, this um, idea of knowing things. And so as he would interview people, he would basically reveal to them that their knowledge was actually just indoctrination. They were actually just indoctrinated to believe that what they knew was true, but that they actually had um, no basis for that truth. It was just my teacher told me and their teacher told them kind of thing, right? And so Socrates was executed for literally opening people's minds. Um, and of course, the government didn't appreciate this because their systems were founded on the same exact type of knowledge that Socrates was exposing. And so um, Plato writes this allegory where there's a cave, there are prisoners in the cave, they um, are shackled, and they are forced to face the back of the cave. And they can't turn their necks. They can't turn their bodies. Um, there's a little bit of light coming into the cave from behind them. And so as people and animals and things move, um, you know, across uh, the cave, they see the shadows reflected on the wall. And so because their entire life was in this cave, they are seeing these shadows, but believing that they are the truth or that they are reality, right? So they're seeing, let's say, a horse walking by. Um, they're seeing the shadow of a horse and they're thinking that's a horse, right? Because they've never seen a horse with their own eyes. They've only seen the shadow of the horse. So to them, that's a horse. And so one day, one of the prisoners uh, removes his shackles. And I feel like that's a really, really important part of this allegory to pay attention to is that any of these prisoners could remove their shackles at any time. Um, he removes them, he goes outside, and he's immediately like so um, distraught by the, the burning brightness of the sun. He's never actually seen the sun. He's only got a sliver of sunlight before this, and his eyes are burning. He's in so much pain. Nothing makes sense. But after a while, he gets acclimated to the sunlight, and he begins to see things for the very first time with his bare eyes. So he's like, oh, shit that's a horse. You know, what I've been seeing is just the shadow. Oh shit, that's what a tree really looks like, or that's what a soldier really looks like, right? All of these um, images that he had only ever seen as shadows on the wall. And so he runs back into the cave trying to unshackle the rest of uh, the prisoners and telling them what he experienced and what he saw. And they're all like pushing him and kicking him away. They're like, we don't want that. You sound fucking crazy. Like you literally just came in here and started saying that everything we've ever seen was just a shadow, just an illusion. And the reality's out there and it burns at first. Like, I don't want to experience that. I'm comfortable here. And um, so, and the reason I think this is so beautifully tied into, um, the Saturn in Pisces is you say that Saturn is like very sobering, right? And I feel like Pisces maybe, um, you know, with its flow, with its formlessness, uh, with its muta mutability, like it could allow for the possibility of 
uh, escapism, like you said, right? Through illusions, right? Through dreams, through fantasies and so on. And uh, this Saturn and Pisces transition coupled with everything going on globally, I feel like is really um, serving as this moment where some of the prisoners are leaving the cave and being like, oh shit, everything I've ever known in my entire life was just an illusion. And even if we replace um, the wall of the cave with the TV, right? With the TV, the phone, the iPad, right? And then we can really see the parallels between this because it's like, we've been so deeply programmed through everything that, you know, reality TV, I think we all know now since watching it from the 90s that it's not real, right? But the news, we're taught to believe that the news is reporting like the most the most truthful information possible. But we're starting to realize that that's not true. And all of these programs, even in just um, entertaining TV shows, sitcoms, so on, they're embedded with these really subtle subliminal messages that are um, creating the possibility for these illusions to live in our mind masquerading as the truth, you know? And so that's kind of how the allegory of the cave really feels like this Saturn and Pisces moment because it's like, oh shit, like maybe everything that we've been programmed to believe was true and real is actually just an illusion that is ultimately uh, severing us, not just from the truth, but from our power. There is no power if it's, if it's founded on falseness, that's not real power. Right. And that's also something that I think we've been, um, awakening to is that we've been sold this false notion of power, this false notion of freedom, right? Motaz just posted recently on his Instagram that, or I think maybe he was being interviewed somewhere, but he said like, hey, stop saying that you are free if you are powerless to stop genocide, you know? And I felt like that was really profound. And again, this, um, unveiling of the illusions right it's like oh shit you know we're over here land of the free that's what america likes to call ourselves right but it's like how free are we if we literally not even can't do anything about it but many people who are in the system of capitalism through their employment are even unable to speak about it people are losing their jobs simply for speaking about it and yet the American government wants us to think that we're free. I'm not even free to speak. That's the first motherfucking amendment. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, that's, this is my people that have been under 75 years of occupation that are currently enduring a genocide. And even I'm able to see the beauty in this moment simply for the fact that people are finally awakening to these illusions that we've been uh, programmed to call freedom and power and truth. Right. Yeah, the illusion of all of that. I mean, I I don't maybe you know who to attribute this quote to, but the, you know, we're not free until we're all free feels very Saturn and Pisces to me or feels very like at least um the understanding of what that quote even means. <laughs> like the deeper truth of that. Yeah. Yeah, that is really beautiful because again, like that interconnectedness of Pisces, right? Is it's like, yeah, it might seem like you can be free over there while someone's being oppressed over there. But, you know, if your freedom is an illusion that is required, it is a necessary illusion in order to enact the oppression over here, right? Because if you were not 
um, blinded by this illusion of freedom, then you might actually be a little bit more concerned with what's going on over here. But because you identify as somebody who is free, you think that, oh, this has nothing to do with me or, oh, that's sad, but I'm so glad I'm not in that position. But in reality, you are. These are just shadows on the cave walls, right, that you've been calling freedom and um, rights, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I mean, I know in the allegory, it's like it's the sun that sort of brings in this clarity or that like, you know, it, it kind of feels like that's the awakening. And the sun can really represent that in astrology, but so too can Saturn. Like Saturn brings that harsh reality to everything it touches, basically, which is good and bad. Like it's difficult. It can be a struggle, but you'd rather, or at least I would rather know the truth than be hidden behind the illusion, although it can be nice and soft and gentle sometimes and, you know, but I'd rather know the truth. So something else that like kind of struck me while you were talking about that story, that allegory is, you know, I, this is something that you and I have talked about as well offline or off the mic. Um, this idea of like, teachers passing down wisdom, which is obviously beautiful. And like, you know, oral traditions are really lovely. And like, I'm not saying that it's all bad or anything, but I think something else that we have learned in all of this time is that like, just because, so these people that we've put on a pedestal because they came before us, because they have this certain wisdom or whatever, and yet now we see that in in these times, they haven't said shit. They haven't, you know, um, they haven't been real about anything. And and so like that illusion is also dropping. That veil is or that is also being unveiled. And this idea that like, I don't know, I think we all need a little more critical thinking when it comes to who we're trusting, what information we're trusting. I mean, all of, like take all of this that you're listening to and, you know, go and research your own shit and like make sure it makes sense to you because I don't know, like we should all be doing our own research and not not just investing 100% in something somebody says like yeah. This reminds me of a Bruce Lee quote, actually. Bruce Lee says, a good teacher protects their students from their own influence, right? Ooh. And I feel like, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a really beautiful quote because it's like, you know, and it also brings me back to Freire's um, banking model of education, which is his criticism of modern education, which is that, you know, in the banking model, a teacher is you know, the way that he describes it is depositing information into a student's mind, right? So through a lecture, through an assignment or whatever, it's like, okay, so the information is now going from this lecture, from this book, from whatever into your mind. And then the student is expected to withdraw that information at the time of, let's say, a test or a presentation or writing an essay or something. And just like you know, money in the bank, once it's withdrawn, it's gone. It's no longer in your bank account, right? And I think many of us have experienced this in school. At least I have. I know looking back at a lot of my transcripts, I'm like, how did I get A's in all of these classes? And I don't remember shit. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's like this idea that like, okay, we're just, you know, absorbing the information and then withdrawing it as soon as we need to take a test or whatever. And then it's like completely poof, gone from our minds. And it's like, that's, 
that's not real education, right? Real education is not teaching you what to think or giving you some temporary information that you will then use just for as a means to pass a test. Real education is teaching you how to think, right? So like you mentioned, critical thinking, like I think the epitome of a good teacher is somebody who maybe, yes, is imparting knowledge, is imparting wisdom, but also like you just did, inviting and encouraging people to do their own research right it's like yes i'm your teacher this is this is the truth as far as i know or in my experience or whatever but you are your own individual and i encourage you to go out and do the research and even one of the first lines in the quran is seek knowledge right um the prophet muhammad doesn't want people to just be born into islam and you know adopt it and reject every other way of religious or spiritual thinking and being he encourages people go seek knowledge learn about every other religion right and if that path brings you back to islam cool if it brings you to something else that feels more aligned also fucking cool right and i think that's really beautiful and again kind of marks the epitome of a good teacher somebody who's like hey this is what i have to teach but i know there's a lot more out there and i want you to find it's more important for me as your teacher for you to find what resonates and works for you than for you to simply adopt what i'm saying here absolutely i mean i think about this with astrology all the time because Yes, we're we're learning from teachers, we're reading books, we're looking into the history of the practice. But the way that I translate what's happening is fully through my filter and my lens. And so like you should get readings from 60 different astrologers for the same thing because they're all going to have something different to say. Like, you know, so yeah, definitely keep keep things diverse basically. Yeah. And I think, again, like that feels very aligned with that Pisces energy, right? Where it's like, yes, seek knowledge, seek wisdom, but um, be flexible. You know what I mean? I think a lot of us have a tendency to find a teacher or a mentor or a guide that we resonate with and then just begin to emulate them completely. I've been totally guilty of that myself. um, And I feel like that to me, really highlights the distinction between indoctrination and education. Like, is what you're teaching me limiting me, right? Is it limiting me to this one way of living, existing, being? Or is it creating endless opportunities for me to think, to be, and to show up in this world? And I feel like that is really where the distinction is. And it's not to say that we shouldn't um, that we shouldn't commit to anything, right? There's, we still need that energy of Saturn that creates foundations, that creates barriers, but they should be barriers that's, that make us still feel like we can grow, that we can expand. It's like when you're growing something in a garden, right? It's like, yeah, I'm planting it right here in the garden, but it has opportunity to grow in every single direction, right? And I feel like that's, that's really the difference between teaching and indoctrinating. When you're indoctrinating someone, you're basically, whether you're saying it verbally or just implying it subtly is that this is the only way to think, or this is the only way to be, or this is the only truth that's out there. Whereas education really inspires you um, to research, to explore, to question, which, you know, feels very much um, reflective of this Saturn and Pisces energy where it's like, yes, 
learn. Yes, find a sense of discipline, find something to commit to, find a foundation to stand on, but allow yourself to take your time with that. Allow yourself to be flexible. Pisces is mutable, like you say, right? Allow that to change, right? Maybe something that worked for you or rang true for you for the past 10 or 20 years of your life no longer feels aligned. That doesn't need to be a big deal. You know, it can be like, hey, this worked for me. This was a great foundation for me, but now I need something else that's going to be more aligned with all of the growth that I've done in that space. Um, and, and again, I do feel very grateful that I see that um, happening in the world. And I see it happening even in my own business. Under the guidance of a mentor, I was being pushed in a certain direction that was, you know, I was beginning to fall into that trap of emulating my mentor and just kind of running my business the same way she did and showing up on Instagram the same way she did. And once we had our falling out, which also was a result of the genocide in Palestine, it was like, oh shit. You know, I think a lot of people realize like, oh shit, I've been fucking with racists, you know? And it's like, I had no idea what they were but the response to this is well, people that are more concerned with money, all of that. Yes, exactly. Like, uh, I'm not going to stand up for justice because that might hurt my pocket. You know, I might lose my Zionist clients. I, you know what I mean? So it's like um, and that for me, I think it was this moment of like, I can't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even if I wasn't Palestinian, I know that like I would just not be able to do that. And so um, I started to give myself the opportunity to reimagine what my business could be about because my mentor was really leading me in the direction of no matter what kind of program you're wanting to do, make sure that you're always marketing it as something that will help people make money, as something that will help people feel more confident, right? All of these like sexy marketable topics where I you know, of course I want to help people with those things, but I also want to help people decolonize. And I want to be upfront about that. I don't want to create a program that's like, Hey, um, let's develop your dream life and make you a bunch of money. And once you sign up, I'm like, Oh, haha, by the way, we're going to be decolonizing, you know, like I just didn't want to live like that. And so the masterclass that you mentioned that you attended, um, this past weekend, that was a really pivotal moment for me because it was like, you know what, I'm going to put something out there from my heart and my soul that just is completely aligned and true to who I am and the mission that I'm on, as opposed to trying to ultimately manipulate people into my program by waving these shiny things at them, right? Oh, look, confidence, you know? Oh, look, money. Um, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be super upfront. I'm here to help you decolonize. And if you're interested in that, then I'm the mentor for you. If you just want to go make money, here's all these other mentors that are completely silent on this that are just going to help you make money. Yeah. I think it's so beautiful that people are coming to that and are no longer willing to mask that truth. But I think it's also, I think it's also like very difficult for some people to like break outside of that, right? Like, especially if you are, I mean, maybe not especially, but I was going to say, especially if you are like an entrepreneur and you are trying to quote unquote make it like we are trying to make it work in this like capitalist system. And so breaking outside of that, I think um, that actually leads beautifully into my next section. It's like it's going to take a lot of commitment, but that's that Saturnian element. And I think I think maybe what you were referencing before is I I had this like 
um, way of describing Saturn and Pisces that's like if Pisces is running water, Saturn is the cup that helps us collect that water and then actually drink it and be nourished by it and actually do something with it. It's like this container that helps mm-hmm. us to utilize it, basically. But yeah, I mean, it's going to take a commitment to compassion and to the collective, both very Pisces things. And for the long haul, which is very Saturn, again, that final planet in the solar system that we can see, it's a it's a long haul thing. It's endurance. Like there's nothing quick about Saturn or Pisces. This is not going to be a quick fix. We cannot love and light our way out of this situation. That is not going to work. It means committing even when it's challenging, even when it um, challenges our own comfort, you know, and our own beliefs. And again, that can feel really overwhelming. I think the immense weight of these structures and these systems that govern so much of our lives, challenging that, trying to oppose that, trying to change that, I think can feel like a lot because there is so much to dismantle. And I think like a lot of folks have been overwhelmed to the point of escape. We've seen that. That's what we're talking about right now with all these like fake fucking people that aren't saying shit. Like, and they're either not saying anything because they are privileged enough to ignore it, um, you know, or they just maybe th- there is also the fear tactic, right? Saturn can also represent fear. You mentioned it before. People are being silenced. So maybe they're not silencing themselves. A lot of people are, but some people are being silenced by actual institutions. But yeah, I mean, um, I think we have to find ways of pushing through that fear because that fear really only leads to further oppression and further struggle. It keeps us further separated, right? Like the more that we don't talk about it, the more that we don't connect about it, the further we are from each other. And Pisces is a Jupiter ruled sign and Jupiter is really expansive. It's, um, you know, among other things, it signifies freedom. And so with Saturn in Pisces, I think we can really find liberation through the rejection of these old ways, of these old systems. And while Saturn might represent those systems, it it also represents that container that we can hold all of these big feelings, all of this overwhelm and like do something with it, right? Um, To embody the compassion that I know we all have somewhere deep down, right? So I think this would be the perfect time now for us to explore some of those like tangible ways that we can actually take action and choose to fight instead of flight or like fight over freeze, all of those things. So I'm super excited to hear about these ways. Guide us. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to. I just want to say one thing in response to what you just said first, and that is that, um, this contradictory energy between Saturn and Pisces, right? It's kind of like this one is all about structure and limitations and commitment and discipline, where this one's all about mutability and flow and freedom. And uh, again, I I love bringing up uh, little philosophical quotes, but one of my favorite ones from Nietzsche is that eternal contradiction is the father of all things, right? So, and I feel like, that's a way in which we can start to see how these two seemingly 
incompatible energies can actually create something really beautiful. And it's the same as the, you know, um, the energy of like the yin and the yang, right? Where it's like, yes, they're opposites, but they are so deeply entangled with one another, which again, goes back to that interconnectedness of Pisces, where it's like freedom and discipline don't have to be complete opposites. They can still feed into each other in such a way where your discipline actually allows you to be more free and your freedom actually allows you to be more disciplined, right? And I feel like that's something that we're all being invited um, to at least be open to because at least in my life, I've always seen discipline as the complete opposite of freedom. And so I resisted it. I was like, I don't want that. I want to be free. I'm an artist, right? I'm an air sign. I can't be disciplined. I can't be contained. But I've also realized, uh, you know, especially through the experience of entrepreneurship that it's like actually by implementing a little bit of discipline, a little bit of structure and limiting myself in certain ways, I'm actually able to be more free and more expansive. They set me up for that. Um, so, yeah, I just felt like that was something that could be, you know, really helpful for people. And in terms of action steps, that could be the first one, right, is just open your mind to new possibilities. I said in a recent email that one of the tactics of colonization, you know, we talk about divide and conquer, right? And colonization really does seek to sever us, not just from each other, but from the truth, from, and one of those truths is the truth of infinite possibilities, right? There are possibilities for us to have structures and foundations and boundaries and systems that also allow people to be free and allow people to expand, right? So the first thing that I really want to encourage people to do is just have an open mind, right? Open your mind to possibilities. It's like one of the first rituals that I have people do when they come into working with me is a dream life activation ritual. And in this ritual, I guide people into their dream lives. And I tell them to get delusional, right? Not that dream life that the capitalization, uh, sorry, capitalism has inflicted on you, right? Oh, I just want a nice house with a white picket fence. And I want to be able to, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about like that dream life that like younger you had, right? Like that dream life that people are going to tell you that's childish or that's unrealistic, or people are going to look at you like you're crazy, right? And so I lead people into that dream life. And then, you know, this could be a practice that anybody here listening could just do themselves too, is really get into a meditative state, start visualizing the, the life of your wildest dreams, not your, you know, colonized, capitalized dreams, but your wildest dreams. And then ask that version of yourself living that dream life, what did you do to get here? How did you get from where I was on the day that you're doing that visualization to where you're at now? And really just... Again, get really rooted into your body, into your meditation, and be open to what this version of yourself has to tell you. And it could come um, in clear words. It could be an image. It could be a feeling, right? For me, it is to just follow my heart no matter how bizarre it seems to other people. And I'm telling you, like, even though I saw the most growth in my business under the guidance of my mentor, just this first 11 days of January, I have been attracting so much more of an aligned audience than I've ever done in my entire life. And that has been, and this is my second action step, 
that has been by honoring my truth, no matter what, right? This, this is who I am. This is my mission. This is what I want to do. This is what, and just honoring your truth, absolutely no matter what, right? And I think that this is something that colonization has really taken away from us in so many different ways. And we see it play out in relationship dynamics in family dynamics and professional dynamics where it's like, oh, I can't say that, right? Any situation in your life that makes you feel like I can't say that when that thing that you want to say is simply true. You're not, it's not something that you want to say just to be offensive or just to be divisive or anything. It's like, God damn, I feel this truth. You know what I mean? It's like in here, in my throat, dying to come out. And there's some kind of virus in your mind telling you, don't say that, say it. You know, there's nothing that you can lose as the result of speaking your truth that you actually need, especially to get to where you want to go. So I feel like that is one of the biggest action steps. And I know I'm going to talk about my offers in a bit, but I do have a throat chakra activation membership um, that's month to month that you can just join for a month, join for six, join forever, you know, whatever, where the entire intention of that program is to help people because it can be scary. It can be really fucking scary to start speaking your truth. Because I'm a recovering people pleaser. You know what I mean? I used to say yes when I really meant no. You know, I really wanted to say no, but I said yes because I didn't want to offend anybody or I didn't want to hurt anybody or I would keep my mouth shut in certain situations so that I didn't embarrass my mom or, you know, things like that. And so this past few years, I've been really coming into my truth. And yeah, I've quote unquote lost. I've lost family members. I've lost friends. I've lost opportunities, but I've gained infinitely more than that. And the main thing that I would say that I've gained is this feeling of alignment that I really don't think words um, can do justice for, right? When you feel, when you wake up in the morning and you start talking to people and you start posting on social media and you start writing emails for your business and everything you're saying is just flowing through you because it's honest and you're not trying to put some kind of filter on it and people are resonating with that and people are showing up to your shit and people are responding to your emails saying, oh my God, I needed somebody to say this. There is no better feeling than that, right? Having you know, certain relationships or a certain reputation doesn't come close. Like I would choose having the worst reputation of all time if that meant that I could just be a hundred percent myself and that whoever's resonating with that is going to come into my field and that I'm never going to have to sugarcoat myself. Like for me, you know, and maybe, maybe one day I can have you look at my chart and pinpoint exactly what it is, but there is just this commitment to truth Mm. that I have found is truly the most liberating experience of all time. Like nothing fucking comes close to simply saying and embodying your truth without concerning yourself um, about who or what you might lose as a result. I think in that way, it is a boundary, right? Like you've created a boundary around your truth being that most important thing. And that allowed for so much freedom. It really, really did. Like when I was, you know, in my business trying not to be offensive so that I could attract as many people as possible, I was actually doing the opposite because my message wasn't authentic. My frequency wasn't as loud and bright as it could have been. And as soon as I started speaking my truth, which which really happened around October 7th, I'm sure you noticed, I just started going for it. I was like, okay, this is the time, right? Like I can't hold back anymore. 
And people just started like flooding into my space, flooding into my DMs, thanking me for my work, sharing my work. Last year, I would be lucky if one person would share, you know, like a post or a reel of mine. And now it's like every single day I log into Instagram and I get like 10 to 20 shares, people sharing my stuff, you know? So it's like, and all of that came from me just committing to my truth over what I thought I was supposed to do. Yes. Yeah, sorry. That's just way more validating than you trying to follow some script. Even that one share, I'm sure it was nice, but it doesn't it doesn't match the one share that you might get from actually saying what you want to say. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, another couple of things that I think people could do are research-based, right? So start you know, looking into history, but written from the bottom up, right? Through our education, um, you know, in the West, especially, we are taught a top-down history where, you know, quote unquote, as they say, like the victors write history, right? So of course the victors in this situation are the colonizers, right? So they write history in such a way with that programs us to see indigenous Native Americans as savages, right? I mean, even I, I tried to watch Pocahontas recently for nostalgia. And the first opening fucking scene is John Smith and his crew on a boat towards the America singing this song that goes, savages, savages, they're not even human. Literally, this is Pocahontas. This shit is for kids. I watched this as a kid, right? And so it's like, movie's not that old either like exactly yeah. so it's like seeing that and being like oh my god millions of kids around the world have watched this movie without even realizing it starting to internalize these beliefs about native americans that they're savages and they're not human and and then we see that exact same propaganda being used against palestinians they're subhuman they're human animals right this idea that all arabs are fucking terrorists and i see a lot of People on the side of Israel saying no Palestinians are innocent, right? And so it's this kind of language that they're able to use because they've indoctrinated us with top-down history since childhood that a lot of people, you know, they hear that and they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? And like you said, people aren't born bad. People aren't born racist. They're indoctrinated to be that way because the colonizers need people to be indifferent. They need people to to look at Palestinians or as Native Americans like, oh, those savages, it doesn't really matter, right? Um, so that's one of the ways, right? Start reading, you know, read your Howard Zinn, right? Howard Zinn is a great resource on the, you know, he has a book called, I think it's called The People's History, right? And this is this is a bottom-up history. Read your Angela Davis, right? Read history of oppressed people, um, and you will start to understand things in a much different way. And by doing that, then you're able to see all of the things that you're engaging with on a regular basis as a product of colonization much more easily, right? So for me, I can't watch TV or listen to music or engage with any type of entertainment without seeing precisely how colonization has informed it through my historical studies, right? So that's something... I would recommend research, you know, like the ingredients in food. This was a huge step in my decolonization journey was actually starting to to understand what are all these ingredients in my food. And it took me back to a more indigenous way of eating. Right. I eat seasonally now. I go to the farmer's market and I see what's in season and I prioritize those foods instead of, um, you know, like eating bananas in the wintertime or something like that or papaya or pineapple or mango in the wintertime. It's just, um, you know, it's it's unnatural. 
Um, and so that way you can start to heal your body, right? One of the modules in my program, um, holistic liberation is decolonize your body. And one of the ways that we're doing that is by, um, eating foods that actually help our body in every particular season of our life. You know what I mean? As opposed to just eating the same shit all year round, which really doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, another thing that I would suggest for everybody is doing some mirror work. And this can be as simple. And I know for a lot of people, this is going to make them feel anxious as soon as it comes out of my mouth. But looking yourself in the mirror and telling yourself that you love yourself, telling yourself that you are worthy, right? Telling yourself, I accept you completely as you are. And it sounds simple, but go ahead and look in your eyes in the mirror and start to say those things and you will feel all of the colonial programming coming up, right? All of that programming that tells you, no, you're not worthy. You shouldn't love yourself because a person who is grounded in their worth, who accepts themselves and loves themselves is not as easy to market to, right? All of the marketing that we see is really playing on people's self-hatred. Oh, you hate your body? Here's something to help with that. Oh, you hate the way you look, right? Maybelline, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline, right? It's like literally like telling people that they're not born beautiful, that they have to buy these products to be beautiful, right? Or to feel confident, right? And it's you see it in like perfume commercials. I can't smell that shit, but you're showing me like the sexiest people ever wearing the sexiest clothes and they're swimming and looking amazing. And then you're like, Giorgio, Armani, right? It's like, what the fuck? This makes no sense, but it's playing on people's insecurities, right? So if you could start to develop an internal sense of worth, an internal sense of love, then you are decolonizing just by doing that. Because I guarantee you, I promise you, the colonizers want you to hate yourself because the more you hate yourself, the more you will settle for less, whether that's in your job, whether that's in your relationship, whether that's in your diet, right? You're going to settle for less and that's going to keep you weak. That's going to keep you disempowered. And when you're weak and when you're disempowered, you're much easier to control. So um, just simply starting to develop subconscious beliefs around your own self-worth, your own self-love is going to be a huge game changer. And you are no longer going to be susceptible. I used to be the type of person that if I went on YouTube and watched a makeup tutorial, I would be on Sephora's website within five minutes buying shit, right? Whereas now I'm just like, I see things and even I see things and I'm like, oh my God, that's so cute. I want it. And the next thought is like, but I don't need it. Right. And that came through loving myself and through accepting myself. I used to wear a full face of makeup before I left the house, whether that was to school or the grocery store, like literally primer, foundation, concealer, powder, bronzer, blush, eyeshadow, eyeliner, mascara, like all of it. And now I fill in my eyebrows and put on some blush and I'm like, all right, I'm good. You know, so it's like that's one of the very tangible ways in which learning to love and accept yourself translates into for me saving a shitload of money <laughs> you know i was spending a lot of money on that shit but also just having this confidence that comes from within that i can be confident for who i am and what i naturally look like as opposed to you know what these images on tv are teaching me that i need to act like and look like um subconscious reprogramming so mirror work is one example of subconscious reprogramming but you can also do this with meditation right and it can be simple silent meditation of just observing your thoughts because once you get into the habit of observing your thoughts it's very easy to come to the conclusion that these thoughts are absurd <laughs> you know what i mean like wait what's going on and one of my favorite 
um, pieces of advice from the book, The Untethered Soul, is to start imagining that the thoughts in your head are another person. Like imagine that it's somebody else sitting next to you saying every single thing that your mind is saying to you. And would you trust a word that person says, right? No, you're going to look at that person like they're fucking crazy, right? Oh, should I do this? No, I shouldn't. Maybe I should. What about this? No, no, no. You're going to be like, yo, dude, like, calm down, right? So if you start to kind of engage with the thoughts in your mind as a separate entity, which they actually are, they're they're programmed that's been indoctrinated into your mind through all of these different colonial systems, then you can start to return back to who you actually are. Visualization. Oh, oh sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just going to say I love that because I feel like there's something about that internal monologue that I think creates that can create a real environment of distrust within ourselves. And yes. then that stops us from, you know, moving towards the authenticity. And so placing it outside of ourselves, it is more like even if you do the thought experiment of like, if I talked to my friend the way that I often talk to myself, we wouldn't be friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, externalizing it in that way is such a, is such a, maybe a quicker route to actually shutting that shit down. <laughs> exactly, dude. I like to envision it as one of my partner's most annoying friends. Like one of his friends just talks forever and he doesn't even take a breath. So what I do is I imagine the voice in my head in that person's body. And it's so easy to just be like, no, nah, I'm not even listening to you. It makes it easy for me to just completely like um, tune that voice out. Cause I'm like, dude, you have literally like, I don't respect you, you know, like I don't respect you. I don't take anything you say to heart. Like, so it just makes it a lot easier for me to ignore. Um, so yeah, visualization, like I mentioned, the dream life visualization is one thing you can do, but just, you know, take a few deep breaths, close your eyes, get comfortable and start visualizing yourself in the spaces that you want to be in, right? In the world that you want to be in and start to really ask yourself, well, how do we get there, right? Because you have to be able to see, that's why it's visualization, right? You have to be able to see these things in your mind's eye in order to start even accepting the possibility of their reality. Um, and you can do this also through ritual. A lot of my rituals are guided visualizations where I will guide my clients into their subconscious and start... Um, either, you know, depending on the ritual, we'll either be deleting parts of the program or we'll be adding new programs that are more empowering. Um, Reparenting, inner child healing, that has been a huge game changer for me. And this you can, again, simply do with a visualization. Close your eyes. Imagine a moment in your childhood that was very painful for you and replace the person who caused you pain. Most likely it's going to be a parent or a caretaker, whether that's like a teacher or a family member or something that inflicted pain on you by yelling at you, by telling you to shut up, right? By telling you not to cry, right? By not basically like, and I think a lot of it comes down to, especially in our, in these childhood moments, like, yo, I needed a hug, but instead I got a beating. You know what I mean? So it's like, go back to those moments in your mind and replace that person who hurt you with your current self 
and give that childhood version of yourself what you needed, whether that be a hug or some validation or whatever it is. And your life will change exponentially just by doing that because your your subconscious doesn't know if something's real or not. So you creating that experience in your mind literally is the same thing as creating a memory of something real. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I love to do. Um, also, you know, shadow work. I like to call this dancing with your demons. Really get in there, right? Those parts of your mind that you avoid because you're like, oh, I don't want to think those thoughts or I don't want to go there. Give yourself a safe space to go there, right? Journal about those things. Give those parts of your mind a voice. Write it all out, you know, and see all of the inaccuracies, right? See all of the things that actually don't align with you. See all the revelations that are possible for you. And one of the quotes, I also don't know where this comes from, but it's that, um, you know, our greatest gifts are lying in the shadows, right? Um, And I found that to be true for me, right? And doing a lot of my inner child healing, I discovered that the things I was traumatized about a lot were that I was too sensitive and that, you know, I was constantly being told to shut up because I, I'm a truth speaker. I always have been since a kid and that shit got me in trouble a lot. Right. So then in doing my shadow work, I realized like, oh, my sensitivity and my commitment to truth are my greatest assets actually. But because we live in a colonized world where being in tune with your emotions and being committed to the truth Um, goes against the colonial project, we're taught that it's bad in all these other subtle ways, right? But so you're, you're able to uncover your deepest gifts by actually just allowing yourself to engage with your shadows. And then the final thing, I did mention this earlier, but just really try to make a commitment to your truth. And you can start small, right? Like you mentioned earlier, Saturn in Pisces isn't saying completely revolutionize everything in your life in one day, right? It's like, take these small tangible steps. And one of them can be, hey, next time someone invites you to something that you don't want to go to, just politely say no, right? Or next time you stop yourself from telling someone that something they did hurt your feelings or bothered you or offended you in some way, find a respectful way to start that conversation, you know? And it's like these small little steps and you are literally telling your subconscious, your inner child through those actions that, hey, it's actually safe for me to speak the truth. It's actually safe for me to embody my truth. And again, that will, you know, change your life for the better in the most unexpected ways. Like I can't even say it because it's going to be different for every person, but just making that commitment to like, you know what, I'm just going to say what's true for me instead of what I think I should say, or instead of what I think this person wants me to say and see where that goes. And yeah, it's going to, cause some struggles, right? Like you say, Saturn, a lot of people, um, you know, see Saturn maybe as the bad guy, but I feel like I I resonate with Saturn in that sense where it could be a bit of difficult truths, right? It could be a little bit of tough love. It could be challenging, but we don't grow without these challenges, right? So it's like, if you want to run away from challenges, you're running away from your own growth and your own potential by doing that. So getting comfortable, with the challenges that are going to arise when you start embodying your truth, whatever that is, right? It's going to show up so differently for everybody. But, you know, once you start doing it, y'all are going to understand what I mentioned earlier when I said, you know, I've never felt just like more aligned and grounded in my life as 
I do now because I just don't waste my time with anything that's not my truth. Like if it's not true for me, then I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pour my energy or my attention into it. And even though, yeah, it does create its own set of challenges, I would choose those challenges over, um, you know, being out of alignment with my truth any day. Yeah. I mean, there's something really authentic about those challenges though. And it's not, it's, it's like choosing your own challenges as opposed to the challenges, um, pushed upon you by society, maybe like fire dude, like something that you said earlier, I can't remember exactly what it was, but what were you talking about with discipline? Just like being disciplined or something to do maybe self-discipline leading to more freedom, I guess. And yeah, it's so easy to see discipline and freedom as opposites, but I've realized that they actually complement each other very beautifully and actually allow for the possibility of one another to exist harmoniously. Like with a little bit of discipline, you're actually exponentially more free. And the more you free yourself, the more inclined you are to discipline yourself in ways that actually support your freedom. Yes. And that made me think of like Saturn maybe representing these older systems, these older institutions, uh, and like an outdated, uh, thinking around discipline and it's transit through Pisces being our opportunity to, as you've said multiple times, open your mind to a different idea of discipline. You know, like we don't have to do the whole, just like keep your head down and make it through. Like we can lift our heads up and see discipline completely differently. Um, and so much of what you said too, um, something I like I've been playing around with is like Saturn and Pisces being kind of like therapy almost, like creating structured pathways in which to heal. But so much of what you brought up is doing that. Like um the even just like the the looking in the mirror thing, like, or no, it was the visualizing when a parent or a caregiver or someone said one thing and you needed something else and your brain not really knowing whether or not, like not being able to make the distinction, right? So you're actually creating those different pathways. And that's just so beautiful. It's like, there's like a strength to be found in that healing, a strength to be found in giving your emotions the fucking credit that they deserve and like not not belittling them, I guess. Yeah. And back to that point about, um, you know, this, this beautiful relationship between discipline and freedom. One of the things that I've learned on my journey is like, actually something that I needed to discipline myself in was following and trusting my own flow. Right. And I feel like that's so, um, you know, yeah, so perfect for Saturn and Pisces because it's like, you know, it's not disciplining myself to act a way that's feels out of alignment for me. Right. Because it's like, everybody has their own thing, right. You'll find somebody that says, okay, this is what you need to do. Wake up at five o'clock in the morning, every day, go to the gym, eat this, right. They'll give you a whole meal plan and a gym plan and everything. And for some people um, that might work, but for someone like me, I need to discipline myself in the sense that I need to constantly be in tune with what my body and what my soul is needing and give myself that. That's my version of discipline is like, okay, today I'm feeling this way. And instead of forcing myself to do whatever it was that I had hoped to do today, I'm actually going to honor what 
I'm feeling and what I'm needing in this moment and allowing that to be my own form of discipline. Which is a thing I I wish for everyone and yeah. is accessible for everyone because you know, so many of us have to get up at a certain time and be at a job by 9 a.m. and do this and follow this structure. And like, I get it. Like we, you know, this is the current system that we're living in, but like pushing yourself more towards that, even in little ways, I think is really helpful or can be really helpful. Yeah. And that's like another action step is get more in tune with your body and with your emotions, because another part of our um, colonial indoctrination, you know, I, I like to think of it as just a huge project of separation, right? Which is why the Saturn in Pisces bringing us back into this interconnected uh, way of living is so important. But one of the things that we're being severed from is our body and, and our emotions, right? We're taught that intellect is superior to emotion, right? And I saw this really, really heavily in philosophy, right? Is that emotion and passion and even the body was um, seen as something that we needed to overcome, right? You need, and, and you see this all the time, right? It's like, oh, don't let your emotions run your life kind of thing, right? And it's like, I'm not saying let your emotions run your life, but pay attention, right? A lot of people are just um, ignoring their emotions, ignoring the signals they're getting from their body, whether that be intuitive signals, um, butterflies in your stomach or um, things like that, right? We're ignoring our bodies and just living exclusively in the mind space. And I think a lot of people are disassociated from their body right now, especially um, in this technological world. Like, like we don't even have to be, right? Like when we were growing up, there was a lot of times where we were fucking bored. There's no time to be bored now, right? Um, it's like, oh, this you, you have one second where you're not doing something and you can just pick your phone up and start scrolling, right? So it's like just this complete out-of-body experience. Um, so yeah, I think another beautiful thing that we can do is just whatever way we can, right? Get back into our bodies. That can be through movement. That can be through self-touch. There's so many different somatic things that we can implement to just allow us to be more connected with our body because when we are um, then we see the mind, body, spirit, you know, and that's why my program holistic liberation is decolonize your mind, body, and soul, because these are actually, um, components of a whole, right? We're taught to see them as separate. Thanks, Descartes. But, um, it's like the mind and the body are not separate. You know what I mean? They're feeding off each other. And if what you're doing is disassociating from the body, you are hurting yourself mentally, physically, and spiritually. And a lot of people are just not aware of that. And they don't become aware until they start getting back into their body and, and they start hearing all the messages and feeling all the messages. And it's like, oh my God, you know, like I had no idea that my body carried this much wisdom or that my body could communicate with me like this. Right. Yeah. And then that's a lot too. It's like you have like uh, an answering machine full of messages from your body that you got to sift through for years. I, I don't know. Maybe younger people won't know what an answering machine is, but <laughs> your voicemail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh. But yeah, so okay, you mentioned your program, Holistic Liberation. Please tell us more about this. Yes, it would be such an honor. Um, so Holistic Liberation is a program that I think has been wanting to be birthed through me for many, many years now that is just finally coming to fruition 
It's uh, five modules currently. So we're going to be spending um, one day decolonizing our mind, one day focusing on decolonizing the body, one day focusing on the soul. And then I've also included decolonize your money and decolonize your magic. Because I know a lot of, you know, it's like I'm not trying to be somebody that focuses solely on money, but I'm also not going to dissociate from the system that we live in. Right. And so um, I've just learned through my own experiences of running my own business that, huh, there's actually a lot of ways that we can make money and relate to money that are more nourishing for us than having just this straight up colonial capitalist mindset towards money. And then magic, right, is like through religious doctrine and through the colonization of the mind and body, we've actually come out of touch with our magic. And so that module is completely dedicated to helping people uh, recover their magic, their spirituality, their gifts, um, because that's something that we've also been severed from. And so the intention behind this program is really to help people reclaim their truth, right? The truth of who you truly are, despite your colonial programming, right? If colonization had never told you who to be, how to act, what to do with your life, who would you be? How would you act? What would you be doing with your life? I'm trying to help people get back to that. And then in doing so, reclaiming their power because that's where our power is right they say knowledge is power i believe truth is power right so when you are living in accordance to your truth that is the most empowered version of you possible and then also returning to harmony which again i think ties into saturn and pisces beautifully returning into harmony harmony meaning our interconnectedness with all living beings our interconnectedness with our environment, the planet Earth, with the cosmos, right? This is the way that we live harmoniously is by really not just understanding and accepting, but really honoring our interconnectedness with all of life. And so those are the main intentions. And the way that we'll be doing them is that each module will include a little presentation that I'll give, but also there will be different practices and experiences that we'll be doing together. Sometimes I'll guide a ritual in the program. Sometimes I will invite people to maybe dance with me or to journal with me, right? So we're going to be, it's going to be a beautiful combination of wisdom teachings through the presentation, of actually practicing, uh, implementing and integrating this wisdom into our our bodies into our lives and then at the end of each module um if you're if you're enjoying it live will be some community connection where everybody will have a chance um if you're joining us later i'm not sure if i'll do it live again but i'll definitely be offering it as a self-paced program that people can do where they can engage with the wisdom teachings with the practices and then you know just kind of connect to their own community in a way that feels aligned. Um, so yeah, that's Holistic Liberation. Another program that I have I mentioned earlier is a monthly recurring membership called Throat Chakra Activation. Um, in that program, we specifically focus on um, expressing and embodying our truth. So that can be through, sometimes I'm coaching people through conversations that they're wanting to have. Sometimes it's coaching people through um ways of communicating in their business in their relationships um with their selves 
Um, so again, sometimes I'll implement um, dancing into that group as a as an embodiment practice. Sometimes we'll um, sometimes we'll spend the whole hour just like talking shit and laughing, you know, because that is very healing in itself too. And that program includes a library of recorded rituals that are all intended to help you. Uh, reconnect again with your truth and activate that throat chakra because I really see the throat chakra as this connecting point between our inner world and our outer reality. And obviously, one of the most tangible ways that we can understand this is the way that we speak, right? We speak things into reality. They go from inside of our minds, inside of our spirit and body to the outer world when we speak but also through our embodiment, right? The way that we show up, that's something that we develop internally and then bring into the external world through our embodiment, through our behaviors, through our actions and so on. Um, and aside from that, I have a lot of programs that are be gonna be uh, released throughout the next few months. I've got a program called Monetize Your Magic in the Work, which is all about spiritual entrepreneurship, people who have certain gifts, whether those gifts be, um, you know, being well educated and articulated in astrology, whether that's being able to channel, whether that's being able to um, communicate something through your words or through your art. I consider all of this magic, right? Healing, art, uh, channeling people who are readers, people who are empathetic, people who are sensitive, and really teaching people how to create a thriving business um, based on their gifts, right? So they don't actually have to become someone else. A lot of people think, oh, I got to get all these certifications before I can start charging. And my belief is that, you know, that's just a product of colonial capitalism, right? Making you think that you have to pay all this money to get all these certifications, before you are worthy of receiving money. Whereas my true belief, and if you go back to a lot of indigenous societies, you'll see that people are either, you know, born into having a lot of these gifts. And then that's usually what triggers the need for some type of training is that you already have the gift. And just sharing people so many different ways in which you can make money um, off doing what, you know, I think a gift a lot of people think like, oh, when someone's gifted, that they've been given a gift. But I think someone being gifted means that they have a gift to give, you mm -hmm. know, and so really turning that into a business. And yeah, aside from that, I'll have a couple of other little things. I'll have um, a mentorship program for aspiring mentors that will come out in the summer. So, yeah, so many different ways to work with me. And I would love, you know, for anybody listening to this to follow me on Instagram or to get on my email list, just so you can kind of have all of these options and opportunities available to you. Yes. I highly recommend at least following Sarah on Instagram. So much good content there. And I'll, I'll link everything in the show notes so people can find you and, and see what you're all about. But all of that sounds really amazing. Um, so lovely the idea of having the gift to give that's really nice it's a total reframing that's what i love to do i i i'm just so passionate and talented when it comes to reframing things i'm like well what if we look at it this way um and i think it's because i've learned through my philosophical studies that our perception and perspective of things truly does determine um what we end up manifesting in the physical world yeah yeah. And that, I mean, to me, that is kind of another, 
it relates to another Saturnian thing of like coming to more of your own truth, like being able to reframe, seeing things for the truth of what they are, that then actually helps you to take more aligned action um, to actually act on the behaviors that are in line with your real morals. And you're not just like kind of going through the motions doing what you've been told to do for so long. So beautiful stuff. Thank you so much for sharing all of those lovely things and opportunities for people to work with you. And thank you for sharing all of those action steps and all of your perspectives. This was such an awesome conversation. I feel like I really got so much from it and I'm super grateful. Same here. I honestly, I love listening to you talk about astrology and how you just weave it in um, to what's, you know, going on in the world. I think that's an important thing people need to understand about astrology is some people maybe think that it's like, oh, you're, you're just like learning all this stuff about, you know, like um, zodiac signs and planets, but it's like, no, we're learning that stuff because it's applicable to what we're experiencing on the ground in any given moment. And I feel like the way that you, um, the way that you teach about it makes that so perfectly clear. And yeah, I I love, I love you teaching astrology. It's maybe the nerd in me, but I I just love the way that you teach it. Well, I love the nerd in you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I mean, I feel like I don't know. I don't know what we're doing astrology for if we're not relating it to what's happening or, or you know, making it more than just like uh, some sort of sun sign stereotype. Like it's fun and memes are fun and they're great and we get a good laugh, but there's more to it. So thank you so much for having me on, dude. Well, friends, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Thank you again so much to Sarah for coming on the show. I will be back soon with more cosmic chit chat, but until then, I'll catch you in the cosmos.